This is Intersection, I'm Matthew Petty. Florida is seeing a spike in COVID-19 cases driven by the Delta variant. Orange County has declared a state of emergency, with the county seeing more than 1,300 new cases on Tuesday. Hospitalisations are going up as well. As schools prepare for the new year, there's questions about mask wearing and vaccinations for those under 12. So what information do you need to navigate this new normal? Today on the programme, we're talking with experts in the field of epidemiology about the latest on the Delta variant of COVID-19, what people should be doing to keep themselves and their friends and families safe. We want to hear from you as well about the spike in cases, whether face masks or vaccines should be mandatory or not. Return to school, businesses reopening their offices. Tell us what's on your mind about COVID-19. You can reach out with your questions and comments on Twitter at WMFE Orlando. Give us a call, one 338 5252 that's one 338 5252 Joining me is Abe Abariah, WMFE health reporter. Thanks for being here, Abe. Thank you. We're also joined by Dr. Amish Adolja, Senior Scholar at the Johns Hopkins University Centre for Health Security. Thanks for coming back on the show, Dr. Adolja. Thanks for having me. And Alvina Chu is epidemiologist with the Florida Department of Health in Orange County. Thank you so much as well for coming back too, Alvina. Thanks for having me again. Well, Orange County is again under a state of emergency. On Tuesday, the county reported 1,300 new cases. There was a press conference yesterday. Here's Orange County Mayor Jerry Demings. This is an all-time high for our community. In other words, the highest number of new cases since the pandemic began was reported just yesterday. Sadly, 1,390 residents have died from the deadly disease. Our 14-day positivity rate is now at 15.58%. Again, an all-time high. Well, Jerry Demings is requiring county employees to get vaccinated. He's also mandating masks inside county buildings, and he urged business leaders to do the same. But the emergency order doesn't allow the county to mandate vaccinations or masks for businesses. Uh, So we find ourselves here at the crossroads where, because we are here in the state of Florida, and the Florida legislature passed certain laws that significantly restrict the ability of local governments to issue mandates, we find ourselves in this position today. Meanwhile, school districts, including Orange County, are also reconsidering rules around masks with just over a week to go before the new school year starts. Earlier this week, Governor DeSantis held a roundtable discussion out of the eye of reporters with physicians and others who are sceptical of mask mandates. A recording was posted of the discussion on the website Rumble afterwards. But I think our fear is, is that seeing some of those rumblings, that there be an attempt from the federal level or even some of these organizations uh, to try to push for mandatory masking of school children. And so our view is uh, that this should absolutely not be imposed. It should not be mandated. So that was Governor Ron DeSantis speaking earlier in the week. So two very divergent views there. Abe Abra, I want to start with you. Uh, Mayor Deming says we're in crisis mode. Just how does this compare to 2020 and where we're at now? Well, we're, we're absolutely aver- averaging more than 10,400 new cases a day, which is really high. This is mm-hmm. uh, back to January of 2021 kind of levels. And we, we hit more than 16,000 cases yesterday. And uh, there's, you know, no indication that this is going to slow down at this point. You know, Mayor Demings talked about how the uh, county is using 
the wastewater system to kind of monitor for the RNA from the COVID-19 mm-hmm. uh, virus into the wastewater system. And by that measure, we are in the middle of an uptick and they expect that uptick to continue. And so at this point right now, we're kind of in the a, a very steep, very dramatic upswing that does not seem to be slowing down anytime soon. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because, you know, previous uh, iterations of the virus, previous waves uh, were less severe on children by all accounts. What about the Delta variant? What are we hearing? Well, at this point, we're seeing that about 20% of the cases are in the last week or so were in people under the age of 19. And part of that is that we are seeing really high positivity rates in that age group, probably because people who are sick and symptomatic are are going to get tested at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, at this point, we still do not see very large numbers of, you know, severe illness or death in that age group. I think at this point we've we're under 20 deaths in the pediatric group. Hmm. That being said, there it's not to say that there are not severe impacts from COVID-19. We are seeing the multi-system inflammatory response right. that can come through uh that you know, we are seeing thousands of those cases and it's kind of remaining to be seen what impact the Delta variant is going to have on some of those different factors. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just pull out for a moment and talk about this from the the uh, national perspective, uh, Dr. Amish Adalja with the Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. Um, tell us about this variant. Like, why are these cases uh, uh, increasing at such a rapid pace? Cases are increasing because we have a more contagious variant that is now spreading in the United States, and we have a significant proportion of the population that's not vaccinated. So it's not surprising that cases are going up because that's what an efficiently spreading respiratory virus is going to do in a population that doesn't have enough immunity in it. Mm -hmm. And in many places in the country, cases will go up, but they'll be decoupled from hospitalizations and deaths because so many high-risk people have been vaccinated. But there are places in the United States, like Missouri, like Arkansas, probably parts of Florida, in Louisiana, where hospitals are starting to see pressure again. Mm-hmm. So we kind of have a two-track pandemic. Yeah. Um, so, is it, I mean, is it, this is just something that, that viruses do, so it's kind of like part of their adaptability. They, they find ways to, to spread more easily. Yes. Viruses mutate all the time, and COVID-19 has been mutating since it first jumped into humans. Most of those mutations don't make a difference. But what we have seen is the development of more contagious variants, and that first was seen with the alpha variant, and, and now we have the delta variant, and this is going to be the case. As long as the virus is replicating, meaning it's infecting new people, there's going to be new variants that emerge. Mm-hmm. Most of them are going to be in, innocuous and non-consequential, but some of them will have disability, and I think we have to, to take that into account when we think about what the trajectory of the pandemic would be. But the good thing about all of these variants is, is, that, are, is that we have a solution. Right. The vaccine is the solution to all the variants. If you're just joining us, we're talking about the latest surge in COVID-19 cases. Want to hear from you as well? Give us a call, one 338 What are your concerns about the latest surge in the COVID-19 cases or returning to school, returning to work? one 338 is the number. You can also send us your comments and questions on Twitter at WMFE Orlando. Or Alvina Chu, epidemiologist with the Florida Department of Health in Orange County, um, not too long ago, about two weeks ago, uh, you were quoted in 
in the news is saying there was a race to get people vaccinated to stop mutations. So it sounds like this kind of spike was pretty clearly telegraphed. It It, it is expected. So as Dr. Adalja um mentioned. So every new infection, it gives the virus an opportunity to mutate and then potentially gain some kind of advantage that may eventually evade the immunity that we've built up or potentially um, be able to evade the vaccines that we have. Mm-hmm. What we have now is is a vaccine that is very, very effective at um, preventing severe illness and even death. And death. So in Orange County specifically, uh, 95, greater than 95% of uh, COVID-19 hospitalizations are in unvaccinated people, and greater than 95% of COVID-19 deaths are in unvaccinated people. Mm-hmm. Um, every day, so you mentioned our spike, so we have reported the highest cases ever. Yep. So if, if we thought it was uh, it doesn't feel bad now, but if anyone can remember back to the winter, it, it was bad. And mm. so we have we have surpassed, reached and surpassed those levels of cases daily. And they are, when they rep- are reported to us, greater than 98% in unvaccinated persons. So this is this is a pandemic of unvaccinated persons. The, um, and the pace, is the pace kind of surprising a little bit to you, Alvina, or did you, did you see this uh, rapid increase coming as well? I think... I, I think it's, it matches, um, and others can, others can comment, but it sort of matches the decline in the rate of vaccinations that we've seen um, in this tail end of the summer, plus mm-hmm. the, the return essentially uh, to what we all call normal, normal business or normal activities. You know, the more we interact with each other in these large groups or in close spaces or travel, um, the more we will have this opportunity to transmit amongst each other. Mm-hmm. I get a call in here now. Uh, Anita is calling in from Orlando. Anita, you're on the air. What's on your mind? Uh, my question is this: um, I uh, work in a healthcare environment, mm-hmm. and there are a good number of my fellow coworkers that believe that the vaccine is causing COVID. And I say this because there have been some individuals that have had breakthrough cases. Um, but there are also a number of individuals also that have some extenuating health concerns. Mm-hmm. So I just have that question. Right. So it's a question of, of uh, how do you get good information out about the, the vaccine? Is, is that sort of what you're asking? Yes. Well, not only just that, but, but it, you know, um, is there more information about um, what may cause those breakthrough cases? Mm-hmm. Because I think that's scaring some people that are still hesitant of getting the vaccine. Anita, thank you so much for your call. I do appreciate that. Well, um, Dr. Adolja, what about that breakthrough cases? Um, what can you tell us about why they're happening, severity, that kind of thing? It's important to remember that breakthrough infections were, ex- were expected. The goal of the vaccine was not to stop every infection, mm-hmm. but to stop serious disease, hospitalization, and death. And on that scale, the vaccines are performing tremendously. But breakthrough infections occur. Sometimes people get exposed to virus, and that's especially true with Delta, that is able to set up a kind of a blunted infection. And when you see these breakthrough infections, they're, first of all, they're, they're very rare. They're not the norm. They're not to be expected. And when they do occur, they're usually clinically insignificant, meaning people don't even know they have it. They got tested because maybe they were part of a, a screening process that was going on at a sports team or, or, or some organization, mm-hmm. or maybe they have very mild symptoms. In all of those cases, though, the fact that the breakthrough infections that are occurring are so mild that they're not resulting for the most part, in hospitalization or death, as we just heard, everybody that's hospitalized in Florida basically is unvaccinated. Mm -hmm. That's a a testament to the vaccines working. 
vaccines are not force fields. They're not bug zappers. They're not going to stop every infection. But what they do do is prevent you from having the severe consequences of disease. And that's all we've ever asked of these vaccines, and they're delivering tremendously. Alvina Chu, I wanted to ask about the second point the call was raising there, which is people who have maybe compromised immune systems, maybe some concerns around vaccines for that reason. Um, what, what sort of words of advice would you have for people who have questions about that? So really, they should um, consult with their healthcare provider. There are some instances where immune-compromised persons may not be able to build a good immunity, and thus some um, may not... And, and then may become infected even mm-hmm. after getting vaccinated. So that's a, that's a question they should um, consult with their health care provider about. One thing um, that we did want to note is that the breakthroughs are incredibly rare. Right. Um, so at least in Orange County, for new cases, um, it's less than 2% or 1.7% as of yesterday of um, all new cases were in vaccinated persons, mm-hmm. which is very a very small number when compared to the risk of potentially developing a severe hospitalization or illness or even uh, dying from COVID-19, especially in this high transmission um, scenario that we're in. Uh-huh. Uh, Abe, Abariah, just thinking, though, uh, our caller said she worked in the healthcare field. Uh, a lot of her colleagues, or some of her colleagues at least, were hesitant about getting vaccinated and, and the idea that the, you know, the, the vaccine itself could be dangerous. Um, what do you make of that? And what are you hearing in your reporting on, on this about hesitancy amongst healthcare workers to to get the vaccine well there there is no shortage of misinformation about the vaccine in any population at this point and at this point we're seeing the groups that are remaining that have not gotten vaccinated for you know whatever reason um they're they're more likely to have at least heard of if not necessarily believe a misinformation about the vaccine um, you know, like that the, you know, vaccine can, can cause an infection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that one's one of the more mild ones. There, there's a lot more, you know, there, there, there's more hesitancy around the idea that this vaccine was rushed, um, that the CDC did not necessarily vet it as well. And to the CDC's credit at this point, they have been slower than some people would have liked to have gone into a full approval and not just an emergency use authorization approval for these vaccines. And part of that is because they want to move at the speed of science is is sort of the terminology they like to use. So Hmm. when it comes to these different groups of pockets of populations that have not gotten vaccinated, I I think healthcare workers tend to be, by the polling, uh, more likely to get vaccinated, but it does not mean that they are 100%. You're listening to Intersection on WMFE. We're talking about the surge in coronavirus cases. We're with WMFE health reporter Abe Abariah, Dr. Amish Adolja with Johns Hopkins University Centre for Health Security and Florida Department of Health epidemiologist Alvina Chu. Stay with us. We'll have more after the break. Welcome back to Intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about the surge in coronavirus cases, the Delta variant, what mutations are coming next, the official response to COVID-19, mask and vaccine mandates, and the upcoming school year as well. What's on your mind when it comes to COVID-19? You can reach out to us on Twitter. We're at WMFE Orlando. Give us a call, 1-866-338-5252. With us, WMFE health reporter Abe Abariah, Dr. Amish Adolja with Johns Hopkins University Centre for Health Security and Florida Department of Health epidemiologist for Orange County, Alvina Chu. Alvina, um, 
just wanted to ask you about the vaccination rate where we are now. The the rate for Florida, I believe, is around 60%. Orange County, a little bit higher than that. I, I read 61%. Is there kind of a, a magic number that we're aiming for to really get a handle on this uh, from a county perspective, at least? There isn't necessarily a magic number um, that will, you know, grant immunity to everyone once we hit it, mm-hmm. um, like a magic finish line. But uh, so every new vaccination that we have helps reduce the number of um, infections. And so we're targeting currently um, those high-risk areas. So persons where or areas where we know that vaccination rates have been low and also um, populations where we know that vaccine uptake has been low across Orange County. So Mm -hmm. that's part of our mobile strike teams efforts, um, as well as our um, messaging and targeting efforts. I wanted to ask, too, um, about the notion of, you know, Florida being a hotspot and just how these these variants, these new variants develop. Are we kind of like a Petri dish for new variants? Like, could there be the Florida variant that that spreads out from here at some point? Uh, So I bet you that there are variants uh, spreading or or developing in every areas where there are new infections. As was previously mentioned, um, the viruses are mutating all the time. Um, One is we... You have to find the unknown, so mm-hmm. all the new, all the new variants have to be identified first, and so that's part of our surveillance programs um, in public health is focusing on those illnesses where there's um, a severe outcome or severe public health outcome, so that we can identify whether or not there is a new variant that is circulating that we don't yet know about. And part of that surveillance is is um, analyzing wastewater, right? Which I, I think is kind of a fascinating way to to track a disease. And I, and I guess that's not a new thing, right? That's been going on for some time. Mm-hmm. It, it's uh, goes on. It's been going on for SARS-CoV-2, and as well, there are wastewater um, wastewater studies of for other diseases or other infections to sort of track um, potentially what might be uh, circulating in a community. Mm-hmm. And that can give you like an advance warning of of what you might kind of start to see as well somehow? It's it's one piece of the picture. Um, so it's in conjunction with other measures that we track. It would be one indicator about what's, uh, what community levels are like. Mm-hmm. Dr. Adelja, what about mask wearing for the vaccinated? We've had sort of some messaging that's gone back and forth from the CDC and from other uh, agencies, you know, local and state governments. Um, for folks who are vaccinated, uh, you know, the guidance now is if you're indoors, wear a mask. Uh, can you kind of unpack that a little bit and explain why that would be so when we were being told before, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask? The CDC guidance is a, is a bit confusing, and it's not something I completely agree with. So I will try and uh, explain the CDC guidance and tell you where I differ from it. Mm-hmm. So the CDC guidance announced yesterday wasn't for the whole country. It was for places where there is substantial and high transmission of COVID. They recommended that fully vaccinated individuals wear masks in indoor public settings. And this was based upon some new data that they had seen where some individuals who were fully vaccinated and had breakthrough infections had enough quantity of virus that they could be considered contagious. Mm -hmm. And they said this happened on rare instances and was only responsible for a very small amount of transmission going on in the country. And that's what they based it on. And and what I would say is that to make a policy like that based on a very small amount of transmission, meaning that this country is in a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that's who's driving infections. I I really think you're only going to get a marginal benefit of those individuals wearing masks. It's not going to change the trajectory of cases because it's largely an unvaccinated phenomenon. And the goal we're trying to do here is not drive cases to zero or eliminate or eradicate COVID-19. That's not possible. What we're trying to do is tame it. 
make it unable to cause serious disease, hospitalization, and death. And in that sense, the vaccines are holding up tremendously well. That's what we've been saying throughout this, is that hospitalizations and deaths are almost exclusively in the unvaccinated. So I think what what this policy may do is end up causing people to not want to get the vaccine in those hotspots that we're worried about because now it doesn't seem to be that something that's going to make their life better because they're still going to have to wear a mask. And I don't think we're going to see much impact because that's not what's driving this. This is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. So I think it's going to be confusing. It's going to be hard to um, hard to enforce. I know in Florida, I think many of the counties fall into that, if not all of the counties fall into that category. Mm-hmm. But I think we really have to focus on the unvaccinated because that's what's driving what's going on. Could I mean, could it backfire just sort of based on what you've seen in, in previous um, epidemics, uh, like messaging like this? Could it cause people who aren't vaccinated to say, why should I be wearing a mask as well? Like, is, is there some risk to that? Well, I think we have an intersection between people who don't want to get vaccinated who don't want to wear masks. So if you look at the hotspots that we're seeing, places like Arkansas, places like Springfield, Missouri, uh, places in Nevada, Los Angeles, Louisiana, that, that these are places where they've had difficulty with masking and public health methods since the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that now that you tell these people, if you even if you get vaccinated because you live in such a high prevalence area, you're still going to have to wear a mask. I don't know if these people who are already kind of entrenched with not getting a vaccine, if that's going to motivate them. Because we know when the CDC changed their guidance before, when they said, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask, we saw vaccinations go up because that was something that people saw as a way to reclaim their prior life. And I think this is probably not going to do that. So I do think there is a a danger that this causes backsliding and more entrenchment of the vaccine hesitant. What I do think needs to happen is getting this vaccine fully FDA approved and getting private organizations and businesses to mandate the vaccine as a condition of participation or a condition of employment. That's going to move things forward. But we really have a major problem with the unvaccinated in those countries. And I think we're going to have regional problems with COVID for some time unless we get more people, especially those high risk individuals vaccinated in those counties. Mm hmm. Uh, Dr. Alvina Chu, rather, I just wanted to come back to you for a moment um, and and ask. We are obviously not too far out from the uh, resumption of in-person schooling, um, school going back to full in-person classes after kind of a hybrid mode for the last year. Are you anticipating, I guess the question is, what would you be anticipating um, out of that? Is there there some concerns from an epidemiological standpoint about what that may do to, uh, to new cases in the months ahead? Well, as um, as we had previously discussed, the the proportion of um, older persons, so the 65 plus who are vaccinated within Orange County, has been greater than 75 percent, and so most of the newer infections are occurring in those who are much younger. It's 60 um, percent of all new cases are between the ages of 15 to 34. Mm-hmm. So as we, as the older populations are protected, the younger ones. Um, be, who aren't vaccinated are less so. And so I think we're going to see a shift in the age to younger, um, especially since the vaccines are not yet available for those who are under 12 years old. And so we've been working very closely with um, our Orange County Public Schools to um, put in place um, the contact tracing that we had and still have um, currently to hopefully um, identify those who are sick and um, provide guidance to those who are exposed and might need to quarantine. We've been speaking with Alvina Chu, epidemiologist for the Florida Department of Health in Orange County. Alvina, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Abe Aberai and Amish Adelja stay with us, continuing the conversation about uh, the latest surge in COVID-19 cases. Abe, over to you. You've been keeping tabs on what hospitals are doing to cope with the surge. What are you seeing there? 
Well, at this point, we both of our major hospital systems in Central Florida with Advent and Orlando Health are past the previous peaks. So they're seeing more patients now than they were seeing before. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, this one is a little bit different because as, as we've been discussing, you know, when you, when you look at the vaccination numbers in 65 and up, uh, it, it is a much higher rate. And so we're seeing a much younger population that is ending up in the hospital at this point. And that's just kind of a, a factor of the math. I mean, you, you, you have, more and more people of a younger age group that are getting sick. And then you're going to have that certain proportion of them that are going to get sick enough that they have to go to the hospital, that they ended up, you know, that they're going to end up in the intensive care unit. And unfortunately that are going to die. And what I will tell you too, just kind of anecdotally, this go round feels very different. Um, you know, I looking at some of the social media feeds and, and hearing from, uh, people working in healthcare, this time there's a lot more sort of anger about it in the mm -hmm. sense that, you know, we have been dealing with a, with a pandemic for a year and a half that we have not been able to control. And at this point, you know, this particular surge, you know, if people were to get vaccinated could be preventable. And, and so there's a, a lot more anger about, you know, I am now having to deal with sort of these very young tragedies that are that are starting to grow and that that are anticipated to continue growing over the next few weeks if not if not further beyond that indeed uh getting some questions coming in via twitter you can reach out to us at wmfe orlando give us a call as well one 338 5252 that's 1-866-338-5252 talking about the Surge in COVID-19 cases, uh, what to expect and uh, what you might need to be doing to keep yourself, your family and friends safe. A question we had was uh, on Twitter was about uh, pregnancies and this uh, variant, the Delta variant. Uh, Abe, just talk a little bit about that. What impact is the Delta variant having on, on pregnant women that we know so far? So it's it's a little bit hard it's it's a little bit early to say what the difference in the delta variant is having on pregnant women or people who or women who are previously like very recently pregnant that have just given birth um we do know from the last year and a half of data that being pregnant or recently giving birth is a risk factor for having a severe illness or or needing you know or, or death um and at this point, you know, we are hearing from the hospitals that we are seeing uh, people who are pregnant or people who are recently pregnant um, that are hospitalized that are getting intubated. And um, at this point, we're not necessarily hearing reports from them about uh, losing pregnancies. But um, I think that at this point, if we if what we're hearing anecdotally kind of on the ground continues, I would not be surprised if that were to change down the road. And if the, if the CDC guidance or if there, the um, analysis of the numbers kind of at a national or, or state level um, does eventually start to show uh, some, some harder impacts on that group. Mm -hmm. So now that is, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, when, when you're having um, that particular group uh, of people that are, are ending up in the hospital, that are ending up on ventilators, that are, that are having these bad outcomes, 
Um, that is another thing that, you know, is, is not just sort of a tragedy for the, the people that are experiencing it. It is also a tragedy for the people who are having to care for them at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, so a, a press conference this morning, right, uh, Advent Health, um, some of their physicians talking about the, the surge. Uh, what did we hear from them, Abe? Yeah, and, and I, I did uh, want to you know, play a little bit of sound from that. Thank you for reminding me that I, I, I kind of forgot that we had a little bit of sound sort of lined up on that. But, um, you know, th- let's go ahead and just take a listen and, and hear from uh, one of the pediatrician, or excuse me, from, from one of the uh, uh, doctors at Advent Health Orlando. So, yes, most of those in the unit are intubated um, as well. So we are seeing that, and that's where those preterm deliveries, if they're viable, happen. We're not seeing women lose babies if we intubate them and they're pre-viable from there, we haven't seen a whole of that as of as of yes yet. But yes, we are seeing intubations. And again, that uh, is Dr. Michael Cacciatore with Advent Health, and and again, that kind of touches on some of the issues that we're talking about as far as the people on the ground, sort of reporting this, are are starting to see something that is raising an alarm with them. That um, and and we saw this, frankly, a year year and a half ago with previous ones that that. We were hearing that there were some impacts to people who are pregnant or recently pregnant, and then it kind of took a little bit of time for it to show up in the data. And, mm. and so I'm, I'm unfortunately expecting it to happen again. Indeed. Well, I want to bring in another guest. Uh, Dr. Candace Jones is with us. She's a pediatrician who practices in the Pine Hills community in Orlando. Uh, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Hello, everyone. Well, I wanted to ask you about um, the Delta variant in children. We've talked a little bit about it on the show so far, but what are you hearing from your patients? Is there some concern from the the folks, uh, the families that you treat uh, about what this variant means for them? You know, I think they are concerned, as they should be, especially with school coming up very soon, Um, with schools and everybody going back to school and also after the um, decision that um, masks were optional. That's really been the topic for parents um, and their concerns. Mm -hmm. Um, What about uh, uh, parents who may be hesitant to get their kids 12 and up vaccinated? What's the sort of what are some of the concerns that you're hearing from them? Yes, you know, we have a spectrum. You know, there are parents who right away got their children vaccinated. There are parents who are hesitant, but after asking questions and we talk through the information, the risk, the benefit, help them make an informed decision with accurate information, they go ahead and vaccinate. And then there are parents who won't even entertain the conversation. I've had Uh, one patient's mom who has left our practice because she wanted me to sign a medical exemption Mm -hmm. um, for her child because her college required it, required signage of medical exemption, and she did not have a medical reason to um, not receive the vaccine. Um, So I have seen everything around taking this vaccine. What I do appreciate is that parents... I'm finding have begun to vaccinate children more now that our practice has the vaccine. I think parents really trust having that conversation with their trusted pediatrician and having their children get those vaccines in the office with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Beth writes on Twitter, Disney World, in brackets, mandatory masks is now safer than OCPS schools. And I know the conversation around um, you know, what schools are going to do, that's, that's a little bit in flux at the moment. A lot of the school districts saying they're taking a second look at their decisions, most of them to, to make masks uh, optional for the school year. Uh, Dr. Jones, I wonder if that's kind of a, a topic of conversation that comes up, uh, parents saying, I'm worried about sending my kids back to school. What do I do? Absolutely. And as a parent, I'm, I'm having, I'm, I have that apprehension as well. Um, my son will just be going back. He is fully vaccinated. He's 12. My daughter's four. She's not vaccinated. And she will be starting preschool. We held her out a whole year. She's ready. I want her to be in school. Mm-hmm. So many other reasons, right? And so these are the discussions that parents are having with me as to what to do. Um, all the benefits of school, but worried about the safety of their children. And then finding out that there will be this mix of students who are vaccinated, unvaccinated, staff vaccinated, vaccinated, and you don't know who is who, and they can or cannot wear masks. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a, a justifiable concern. And indeed, the, it looks like the, the rate of pediatric vaccinations is going up. Uh, about 20% of new vaccinations are under 19, so some positive signs there. Um, Dr. Adolger, I wanted to come back to you for a moment. As those uh, as, as vaccinations become more available to, to uh, children and more children are vaccinated, what impact do you see that having on the, the, uh, on the pandemic, broadly speaking? Because earlier on in the pandemic, uh, the the thought was children are kind of the even if they're not maybe severely affected by coronavirus they are vectors for the disease and and sort of spread it in the community. I would say that any vaccine going into any person's arm is going to be beneficial when it comes to the trajectory of the pandemic because the more people that are immune to this virus, the harder it's go- the virus is going to find it to spread. So as children get vaccinated, I think that's going to be something that stymies the virus. From a public health perspective, I think obviously children are not the ones that are going to be represented amongst the hospitalized or the people who are dying or in ICUs for the most part. So it's not going to have that same impact. But I do think that having as vaccinated a population as you can is going to only be a good thing. I think it's important to, to, to do studies in children, especially because of the risk-benefit ratio being different. And I think we'll see that be done with those younger age groups below the age of 12 but but I think that this, in general, is something I, I favor children being vaccinated. I think it's going to make schools more resilient and make schooling more easier. It's going to make extracurricular activities better. It's going to allow children to resume the, their pre-pandemic life, and, and they've really suffered through this pandemic, mm-hmm. mostly because of what adults have done to them and what have adults have forbidden them to do because the virus wasn't as much of a threat to them. So th- this is one way for them to get their, their lives back, and I think it will uh, be another obstacle that the virus faces in, in spreading in the country. You're listening to Intersection on WMFE, talking about the surge in coronavirus cases with uh, Dr. Amish Adalja with Johns Hopkins University Centre of Health Security. Also joining us, paediatrician Dr. Candice Jones and WMFE health reporter Abe Abarai. You can weigh in with your questions and comments too. We're at WMFE Orlando on Twitter, rather. Give us a call, one eight six six three three eight. 5252. Stay with us. More after the break. Welcome back to Intersection on WMFE. I'm Matthew Petty. We're talking about the surge in coronavirus cases, the Delta variant, and what mutations may be coming up next. The official response to COVID-19, mask and vaccine mandates, and the upcoming school year. 
What's on your mind when it comes to COVID-19? You can reach out to us on Twitter at WMFE Orlando. Give us a call, one 888 With us, WMFE health reporter Abe Abariah, Dr. Amish Adolja with Johns Hopkins University Centre for Health Security and paediatrician Dr. Candice Jones. Getting some questions coming in on Twitter. Uh, one listener writes, My six-year-old can't get the vaccine yet. How are elementary schools going to deal with the fact that the vast majority of the school isn't vaccinated yet? Another listener, Joe, writes on Twitter, even if kids have low death rates, they spread the virus. I thought the goal was to stop the spread. Joe adds, imagine being a child who brings this virus home to a vulnerable family member. We're seeing breakthrough infections in our community. There needs to be a mandate, masks in schools, despite its inconveniences, so to protect our children as well as our teachers and staff and family. Um, Candice Jones, I wonder what kind of conversations uh, that that you're hearing or, or concerns you're hearing about the issue of masks, because it does seem to be a very polarizing topic amongst people. Yeah, it, it really is. And I've had all sorts of discussions. And, and what I would highlight is the AAP guidance for safe schools. Um, and I think we all can agree the goal is to keep kids in school, get them back into school, but also keep school physically safe, and that includes the staff and the students' safety. And so the reason behind this guidance um, of, of universal masking in children to and up in the school settings and also in the adults is because, again, not all students will have that opportunity or be eligible to be vaccinated, just like your, your caller mentioned mm-hmm. before the start of the school year. Also, the variants, as you guys have discussed, are more easily spread. And so if, if Cal does well, I can't guarantee, um, they still can spread to others. And it affects those that community spread and further replication of um, mutations, as as it's already been mentioned. Mm-hmm. Also, there's that mix of vaccinated and unvaccinated, and you there's no way to know. There's no way to to um, mandate that people share what if they receive the vaccine or not. And the last point is so important: masks are very effective in stopping the spread of virus. Period. Even the COVID nineteen virus. And it, uh, so why not wear the mask? I get it. They're not comfortable. I get it. But we're in public, a global public health crisis. And if the masks are effective and we have all these other nuances going on, why not have the mask in place? There are some schools of thought or some ideas that are floating around there, maybe on the fringes. Uh, one of them is the idea that masks are actually detrimental to children's health. Um, Dr. Adolja, I wonder if you could address that. Is there any merit whatsoever to, to that, that rumour? No, there's no evidence that masks are detrimental to a child's health, especially when we're talking about cloth masks or surgical masks. Uh, there's not really anything to, to worry about in that situation. Obviously, if you've got a child that's it's their child, children find them uncomfortable to wear. Mm-hmm. Child learning to speak may may have difficulties with masks. But it's not a health risk. I think it's an inconvenience more than anything. But for an unvaccinated child, it's going to be something that many school districts will want to use if they've got high community prevalence of the infection, as well as if they have uh, if they have low levels of vaccination in their community or in their school. Mm-hmm. Another question coming in via Twitter, at Twitty Politi writes, uh, kids with disabilities won't be able to access the supports they need if they can't go to school because unvaccinated people aren't wearing masks. This is catastrophic for a lot of students. And another listener, Rachel, adds uh, on Twitter, are we going to wait until we look like Arkansas or are we going to be proactive in our fight 
to protect our children. Um, Dr. Jones, just on that idea of the risk to children with disabilities, where does this sort of fit into the conversation? What questions are you fielding from families that you talk to? You know, certainly there is a number of children who are more at risk. We talk about how children do well with COVID-19 infection, and they may not be the ones to die or be intubated or hospitalized. Um, we do have the MISC, and we don't know who's going to get what. But there are, we know that there are a particular group of kids who are at risk. So children with certain health conditions who have obesity, asthma, heart disease, and certain children with certain disabilities, Um, you know, whether it's cognitive, where they can't wear their mask properly or wash their hands or may not follow those safety measures, or their health condition puts them at risk. And so we also need to be protecting them as well. Mm -hmm. And another question coming in, uh, Pris writes, uh, which activities are spreading faster and more easily, uh, in brackets, such as indoor unmasked events and indoor outdoor dining? Um, Abe, what are we seeing in central Florida, and what do we know about kind of how and where the variant's spreading? Well, what we know sort of historically from what, what's been sort of tracked at the local and at the national level, um, generally speaking, outdoor events in the sun – particularly if you're um, outside and you've got, you know, good ventilation, good sunlight, it's it's probably would be the lowest risk event. Uh, If you're indoors, uh, particularly with people that you do not live with, uh, then you start getting into a higher level of risk. Um, Indoors with crowds um, of people you don't know, for example, going to a concert or something like that inside, Um, especially where people are going to be talking, um, are going to be, you know, doing stuff like that, that's sort of the higher level of risk as you go down the, con- the continuum. Um, the thing to consider, too, is that a lot of it is dependent on your own um, situation with you and your family and, and what kind of risk level you're able to tolerate. Um, you know, we, we were, a caller kind of mentioned, or a, a, someone on Twitter sort of mentioned that, you know, if you have a, a child with disabilities, it, it, things get a lot harder. Mm-hmm. That is absolutely true. If you have a child that, um, you know, if, if you were living with someone, whether it's a child or whether it's someone else who cannot get vaccinated for whatever reason, um, then your risk profile changes with that. And so you should be kind of adapting to what you're, you're seeing around you. And, and um, right now, sort of the, you know, the federal guidelines on, you know, you should be masking if it's a, you know, high transmission area. That's really easy right now. In Florida, it's everywhere. We are, we are, you know, setting records across the country, you know, 400 cases per 100,000. It's not great right now. No, no county in Florida is, you know, in a good situation where by the CDC's guidelines, you would not be masking indoors, even if you are vaccinated. So that, Makes the decision right now a little bit easier. It's going to get a little bit harder down the road. But mm-hmm. uh, to um, uh, Dr. Adalja's point about, you know, kind of having these incentives there, that's where we're sort of seeing some, some changes right now at the federal level. They're talking about, you know, if you are a federal employee, um, you know, a civilian federal employee, and you are unvaccinated, then you are going to have to get tested on you know a sort of a regular basis you're going to have to get you're going to be masking around uh, other people and you know 
the public health incentive part of it is that you are trying basically to make it sort of inconvenient to be unvaccinated and therefore you make it easier for people to make the decision. Okay, well, maybe I was kind of on the fence, but you know what? Um, if I don't have to wear a mask when I go to work, I might be more likely to get vaccinated. So mm -hmm. that's sort of the point where we're at right now, where um, we're sort of waiting for those changes in federal guidelines that will allow some of those broader changes to happen and, and you know, have a bigger impact. Dr. Adolja, I know every, uh, every disease is different. Every pandemic, I'm sure, is slightly different. But if you compare this to, to past pandemics, like uh, the, the flu influenza pandemic of, of last century, uh, kind of where are we now? And are we in sort of completely uncharted territory? Or can you draw some analogies and say we have a rough idea where this is heading based on what we saw from the you know government response back then and what we're seeing now? I, I think what we're in a position where we're seeing a virus that transmits efficiently transition from being an emerging infectious disease to a endemic seasonal respiratory virus. You have to remember that we're not eliminating, we're not eradicating COVID. It's going to be with us. Now we're at a point where some parts of the country, some parts of the world have it under better control than others. They've tamed it. And this is really a function of vaccinating high-risk individuals. So we're in that stage, of a different stage of the pandemic, where we have this great toolbox, including all of these vaccines. And now we just have to get them into people to move this into seasonal respiratory virus, similar to what we deal with year in and year out with influenza, with RSV, and others. And when it comes to 1918, I think that you really can't compare them because 1918, even though maybe the death toll in the United States is probably comparable, 500,000 plus 1918, some estimates, and we've got over 600,000. Mm -hmm. The average age of death in 1918 was 27 years of age, which, which really translates to millions of life years lost. You see what their life expectancy would have been. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, 1918 still is a, a more severe pandemic uh, than COVID-19 had, had been. But COVID-19 didn't really need to be this bad if we would have actually used tools early on and not allowed the virus to spread unchecked through January, February, half of March before we started to take action. Before we, and then we, when we did take action, it was, it was a botched testing kit, really bad test criteria, mistake after mistake after mistake. That's now got us in a situation where half the country takes COVID seriously and another half does not. Dr. Jones, as a physician, uh, how how much of your job is kind of a um, an advocate for science and and sort of education as much as it is kind of treating the, the physical well being of people? All of it. It really <laughs> is. That that's that's what I do. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and I try to meet people where they are, and just just ask them, you know, what their questions are, and help them make make the best decision for themselves and their families. Mm -hmm. Has that really come to the fore, though, in the last uh, year and a half or so, that aspect of the job? Oh, absolutely. This has been a really tough year and a half. It really has been. Like I said, I've never seen such polarity. Um, you know, people trusting the science or and listening and believing what I'm telling them versus just absolutely, you know, conspiracy theory type you know, it, it, it's been really tough and and um, mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. 
where do you see this headed next? I mean, I know we're we're in an, another upswing. Um, are you optimistic about where things are going? You know, based on the fact that we do actually now have access to vaccines. There's there's plenty of it available for those who want it, um, and hopefully for the for the uh, the younger children as well at some point in the, the near future. Yeah, I think that is the point of optimism that we do have vaccines. We do have them coming down the pipeline for younger children. Um, I'm looking forward to that for my four-year-old when that is available and if it's proven to be safe and effective. Um, And so that does give me hope. And I do see in practice families coming on board um, with the vaccine, um, with being safe and their mask and taking it seriously because people have lost. I have a lot of families who have lost loved ones and they finally realize how real it is. Mm -hmm. I just finally, I, you know, we're we're in the heart of the um, the tourism industry here in Central Florida, and people often look to the theme parks for sort of for you know th- taking the lead on things like this. We have seen a little bit of that. I mean, the uh, Walt Disney World announcing that masks would be mandatory within uh, indoor settings and, and vehicles and stuff just in the last minute or so. Uh, curious to know, uh, you know where do you see the, the sort of leadership coming from, given the fact that the state has has uh, sort of got a slightly different tack from what county leaders see. Are we going to see sort of businesses really stepping up and, and, and uh, taking the lead on this? I really wish I could answer that question, you know, with a crystal ball, because I, I don't know. Um, we, we have a unique situation in Florida where the governor has and the legislature has sort of curtailed what local governments and local school boards can do to a certain extent. Admittedly, at the school board level, they're talking about, you know, Broward County down in South Florida has already said that they're going to require masks mm-hmm. again next year. Orange County has, you know, said, hey, the, you know, super ability to make that call. And, and they're talking about having that at another meeting coming up soon. And so we're going to see how local officials sort of deal with it but at the same time you know the governor is also saying we're going to call a special session to deal to to curtail that and they've already passed laws about you know limiting the amount of things that can be done by an emergency order at the local level so um where we go from here i'm i would love to say that i'm optimistic but i'm really uh, a little bit scared about the current spike right now that we're seeing and just the exponential growth with it. We're going to have to leave it there, but we were speaking with Abe Abarai, WMFE health reporter. Also joining us on the show, Dr. Amish Adolja, senior scholar at the Johns Hopkins University Center for Health Security, and Dr. Candace Jones, pediatrician who practices in the Pine Hills community in Orlando. Thank you so much to all of our guests. Support for intersection comes from Advent Health and from our listeners. You've been listening to Intersection. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks so much for joining us.